0: Hey everybody, thank you for joining me on The Virtual Couch, the inaugural episode of The Virtual Couch, and coming up on this first episode today, a topic that I am so passionate about, how to talk to your teenager, and uh, right now in my life, I am a father to four teenagers, so uh, plenty to say on that topic. We're going to get to that a little bit later. I guess if this was one of those clickbait type of stories, I would probably say something like, today I will share with you three ways to talk to your teenager, and you'll never believe number two. Um, But first, I want to thank everybody who has already reached out to me through the contact page on my website, pathbackrecovery.com. The response to even just the two and a half minute intro, um, this podcast is coming soon intro, has been wonderful. And this has been something I have been waiting to do for so long. Um, I have been listening to podcasts forever while I run in the car. And uh, so I've always looked forward to, to doing a podcast um, and I've been jotting down notes for years in my role as a licensed marriage and family therapist, and uh, just things that I think could could hopefully benefit people. Um, kind of that view from the therapist chair. Things that I see um, over and over, repeated, that I really feel like can uh, can help people. But so I am grateful for the feedback already. Um, I mentioned Pathback Recovery. That is my website, um, PathbackRecovery.com. And just a quick plug there: the Pathback. Uh, it's actually an online faith-based pornography addiction recovery program that I've been developing over the last couple of years, and it consists of over 40 videos as well as a workbook, and it is designed to help people, men, women, um, not only overcome pornography addiction, but also to find happiness in life. So there are skills and tools, there's a uh, part um, therapist, motivational speaker, um, just a lot of and then a lot of uh, a lot of faith-based principles um, primarily pulled out of the New Testament that uh, that I hope will help people um, be able to kind of kick um, their pornography addiction once and for all and and I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people with pornography and compulsive sexual behavior so um, I really love that program and uh, a lot of great feedback so far so check that out at pathbackrecoverycom and if you want to submit questions for this virtual couch podcast, you can do so through the contact section on that website. So just shoot a question there. Uh, but I'm ready. I am ready for this inaugural edition. I'm going to try to keep it pretty short. When I have the interviews with other therapists, I'm going to hope to go a little bit longer and in-depth, but I want to keep this um, pretty short and to the point. So my door is closed, and I was thinking about that today. Um, one of the things kind of view from the therapist's office, when a therapist door is closed, it is it is like a sanctuary. Um, nobody ever opens the therapist door and I am so grateful for that. But, uh, so when I tell clients that a lot of times, the first question is, you ever take a nap? And, uh, it's like, of course I do. You know, there is there is no better nap than on my therapist couch, maybe throwing the headphones in, got a little bit of mindfulness going on, uh, set the timer. Cause I'm not going to lie. There was, uh, there was one time where I might have actually slept right up until my next client was coming in. I know my eyes were red. I'm bald. So I don't have to worry about bedhead. Um, but it was, boy, what a sound sleep, though. So the door is closed, and uh, that means I've got some uninterrupted time. Um, I want to answer a couple of questions that I did get some good questions, uh, but but the door closed brings me up to one other story. There have been, in over a decade and, and just thousands and thousands of hours of therapy, I've maybe had a handful of times where somebody opens the door um, that they... Uh, there's kids in the waiting room or that sort of thing. And as a matter of fact, every now and again, if I hear kids in the waiting room, I will actually go up and lock my door because that's typically who's going to come open the door in the middle of a session. Of course, it's going to be some heartfelt story or somebody's uh, very emotional and that door is going to come open. But um, early on, I worked at an agency and it was a nice agency. I had a, a an office down a hallway and I uh, had a client that met with me there often. But once a week, I would go out in the field and I worked out of a church building and um, so, I had a client that I 'd always met in the agency, and i couldn 't i couldn 't fit this client in on uh, a day that they could come in, but they could make this day that I was going to be at this church working out of this church office. so I tell the client to meet me up there I think ten o 'clock or something like that in the morning. but this client had no idea I find out later that I saw a full schedule of clients, so I think i 'd already had an eight o 'clock in the morning, a nine o 'clock client. So I'm in there with my 9 o'clock client, and this is a client that was uh, going through a particularly rough time in their lives, and this session was one of these emotional sessions, and uh, so so the 10 o'clock client comes in a little bit early. And this client again, no idea. I think this client thought that I literally was saying, "Hey, you can't meet at the office. How about you meet me up at this church on this other day?" So I'm I'm in the office, uh, no doubt, asking someone how they feel about something. There's some tears, emotion, and this ten o'clock client just—they must—they got there a little early. They just throw the door open and just do a big old hey, like a, a surprise, right? And in the, the client that was in the room, I think maybe yelled audibly. Um, I, my heart just started beating out of my chest. I mean, I think I about had a heart attack and uh, the, just the look on that client's face when they, they just kind of had the door open and then they just walked back out very slowly. And I don't think my adrenaline came back to normal um, for the rest of that day. But so that still is in my head, even when the door is closed. Um, boy, that takes me. One other quick story view from the therapist chair. When I was a brand new therapist, shiny new therapist, one of my first couples I ever worked with, um, the session wasn't necessarily going as well as uh, as I probably would have liked. And so this guy is pretty irate, and he decides that he is gonna he is gonna take a stand. He's gonna make a scene. So he stands up and he's gonna walk out and he's gonna slam the door behind him. So he gets up and makes his move to the door. First time I'm dealing with anything like this, and uh, opens the door, grabs the door. Flings it shut behind him, but his foot was still in the door, so the door hit the back of his shoe and kind of did that yo 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 y- and just kind of rattled back. And uh, I just remember looking at the wife, and uh, we both kind of laughed a little bit and just said, "I don't think that went the way he had hoped it would go." So, uh, so anyway, all kinds of fun things. Um, I can't wait to tell a lot of these these stories. The view from the therapist chair. Maybe that would have been a better title for the podcast. Uh, but let me hit a couple of questions first. Um, this is funny, One, the, the most frequently asked question I had, and I don't know if it's just from my bio on the pathbackrecovery.com website, or, um, I might've said that when I was listing the, Hey, I'm a marriage and family therapist and father of four and all that good stuff on the intro. But I, 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 uh, put out there that I'm an accomplished ultra marathon runner. So I, I actually had more questions asking what an ultra marathon is than anything else. And I'll be so quick on this, but an ultra marathon. So a marathon race is the distance of 26.2 miles. It is a fixed distance. Uh, I know it has something to do with uh, olden days of uh, running to marathon, um, uh, somebody getting a message to the, to the Greeks or, or that sort of thing. And then when anybody tells me that story they, they like to tell me that I think the guy that ran the 26.2 miles then keeled over and died. so uh, you know a great uplifting story. So that is the marathon distance 26.2. And, and I know that some people don't actually know that because I'll get asked all the time uh, or people will tell me, yeah, I ran a 5K marathon or a 10K marathon. But so the marathon is 26.2. So an ultra marathon is a race that is actually anything longer than 26.2 miles. And, and there's some kind of go-to distances, uh, 50K, which is about 31 miles, 50-mile um, races, 100K, which is 62 miles, and then there are 100 mile runs, and then there are even some that are longer. So, uh, so when I'll get to that in, in future episodes. But uh, I am an ultra marathon runner. It's it's my passion. Um, it's my my healthy, socially acceptable, uh, somewhat addiction. And uh, again, we're going to get into all of that in later episodes. Um, but uh, but I've run I've run I think 30 or 40 regular marathons, and I've done over 100 ultra marathons. Um, including dozens of races of, uh, I love the 50 mile distance, um, but I've also run 12 or 13 races that have been 100 miles or more. And uh, boy, that is that is that is something else. That's an accomplishment as well. Um, but thank you for that question. So I wanna get one other quick question. Here it is. Um, it says, um, and I'm sure down the road, I need to have some drum roll or some clever answering questions jingle. And, and maybe if I figure that out someday, I'll go back in and put that in here. Uh, but here we go. This is from actually a local Emailer, Local to me, that is. Uh, the email said, Hi, Tony, I'm looking forward to your podcast. I live in the Sacramento area, and I have heard you speak a couple of times. I appreciate your enthusiasm. At what age should you talk to your kids about sex, and do you have any thoughts, pointers, or anything that you can add? And actually, as I am reading this question, that would probably be a great um, podcast episode to follow up on. But I'll kind of throw out uh, in in general terms. I I typically with our kids we looked for right around the age of ten. I know every kid's different. I think a lot of it has to do with their maturity level. Um, but man, the you know the sooner the better. I think that uh, ultimately we want our kids to hear these things from us, and that'll actually tie in a little bit more to the topic that uh, that I'm talking about today. So I want um, I want you the parents to be the ones that bring this topic up. And uh, there's a lot of resources out there, books, people that you can go to. Um, and, and you know what? I will. I'm going to make a podcast about that in the not too distant future. My wife and I jokingly said after after we did it the fourth time, um, talk to our kids. That is, we we felt like man, we we should hire ourselves out. This is our new career. Hire ourselves out as the people that go and give the birds and the bees talk to kids, because we we actually enjoyed it and uh, and very similar experiences with all four of our kids um but very good experiences so in general pointers um my my wife and i tried to make it a pretty big deal um we had we had already tried to do regular date nights with our kids at that point but as each kid was getting close to 10 we would talk to them about this this special date night that uh, we're going to go on with mom and dad, and they get to pick wherever we're going to go. They get to pick the activity, and we just can't wait because at ten they are they are ready for us to talk to them about some really exciting stuff, and they were excited about it. and uh, And I still you know, I still remember um, at, at the restaurant with my oldest when she was ten, maybe eleven, and we are we're, we're just having a great time. I think she is just eating up the the one on one time with mom and dad. And then we kind of start laying out the hey, here's why we want to talk to you, and uh, about our bodies and the miracle of creation, and and then we kind of started to launch into um, how the stork actually delivers the baby and uh, that sort of thing. No, but it was funny because she actually did think it was, I think it was, I think she thought it was stork related, and I think we even had a conversation about Dumbo and that sort of thing. But, but we talked about it. We, we, and I, my tips are to talk about, you know, use real words and penis and vagina. I don't know if I have to do explicit content now that I said that for my iTunes rating. Um, but you use real words and you, you know, you say it calm and loving and and wonderful, um, you know, we're not trying to throw the guilt and, and shame in there because we really want them to be able to come to us when they have questions. And uh, and and I remember with a couple of the other kids too. Um, there's always that look where uh, where when when it kind of dawns on them when you're talking about you know actual when a male um, loves a woman and, and and inserts his penis into the vagina that sort of thing. And I, that's usually when the kid goes, "Whoa, wait a minute!" And you watch that look on their face of they're just putting that together. One of the best was, I think it was my second daughter, then uh, you you can see her kind of look up to the sky and she's like, okay, so you guys, you guys have done that four times, you know, and uh, boy, jokes going through my head. I'm like, "Eh, maybe a couple more than that. Um, But, but, uh, but uh, boy, bless her heart though. And she was, and we were kind of saying, okay, well, and then we got into a little bit more about, you know, when men and women love each other and it's a way to show love and affection and that sort of thing. So it's just been great, and uh, and then we have regular check ins with our kids. Always have about what they're hearing, um, because here's what we're trying to avoid. I mean, it is that that cliched, stereotyped learning it on the playground is going to not necessarily be the best place, well, and not necessarily it is not the best place to hear about um, sexuality, because uh, most likely it's coming from some. Um, not good sources and going to be crude, vulgar, that sort of thing. So I actually want my kids to know what, um, when they're hearing what's right, what's wrong. And I want them to come and ask us questions when they run into something that they think might be wrong. I still remember uh, one of my daughters as well, we're at a tabloid, see a tabloid when we're checking out at a supermarket. And uh, there was a young woman that was pregnant, some pop star. And up until that talk, it was funny, my daughter had said, I don't understand. She's like, I would look at that and I would think, how was that woman pregnant? Because she wasn't married, you know? And and uh, I think she just thought it was as simple as, well, once you get married, then there's something to do with a baby and then a stork and that sort of thing. So so my tip is to, uh, you know, please be the one who has that conversation with your kids. Um, I do a lot of therapy, not with kids, with teenagers, and and especially when I'm working with pornography addiction, Um, compulsive sexual behavior in a teenager, I am often shocked that that conversation uh, literally hasn't happened. And here's how it happens a lot of times too. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard maybe a mom or a dad say, hey, so the whole birds and bees thing, you good? You know, and at that point, what teenager is going to say, man, I cannot wait to have this super awkward conversation with my parents. No, if they get the opportunity to respond and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we're good you know and then uh, mom or dad says okay good talk we we had the talk but meanwhile i mean they they don't really need they have so many questions or or really don't know um a lot of uh, a lot of the details about what's going on so have that conversation early uh, don't guilt or shame use real phrases and uh, and then follow up we can't just have that i mean especially at 10 my kids see pictures of me um again i mentioned earlier I'm bald my kids see pictures of me when i was younger and that i have hair and then they'll they'll not see a picture for a couple of years, see another one. They're like, wait, "Wait, a minute! When did you have hair?" It's like we've gone over this so many times. So, but yet we expect them to remember, you know, to a T, um, a you know, a conversation about sexuality or something. So we need to kind of come back around, ask questions, and uh, and reinforce um, some of the things that we are hoping to teach them. So, uh, well, I've got a few more questions. We'll kind of leave those for future episodes. So I really want to get to today's topic, and I want to try to be pretty pretty brief. Um, so I want to touch on something that I run into several times a week. So I mentioned earlier I work with a fair amount of teenage clients. Uh, typically, I work with teens somewhere around the age of 15 or 16 and up. And um, that's that's just a preference. I like to be able to do more of talk therapy. I mean we'll do some it's, – it's experiential where we might uh, relate some things in their lives or I might have them actually do something, almost like an object lesson – but uh, but I'm not a, a child therapist. I don't do well with um, just playing games and feeling like I'm accomplishing something. And that is to take nothing away from child therapists. True story, when I was in graduate school, you have to do a practicum. So you go out and you basically donate your time as a therapist at some agency, nonprofit, uh, court-mandated clients, that sort of thing. And so my practicum actually was working with kids, um, kids who had been abused and kids whose parents were kind of going through the system and, and were mandated to go to uh, counseling, but I was I was working with the kids, and so I did a lot of therapy where I was playing Jenga, you know, and the, they they have therapist Jenga where each block has a "Tell me about your feeling," you know, "How do you feel about this?" as you pull out a block or whatever. But uh, and I enjoyed that. I really felt I enjoyed working with kids, but I, I, it was frustrating for me personally to not be able to help them or not necessarily have that skill set. Um, because what I typically wanted to do was when I would hear some of these stories or I would meet maybe let's say the father in the waiting room and that and that's who I really wanted to get to and uh, and that's you know I I had always felt called to work with men so um, there are people that do amazing jobs with children Uh, I will tell you that there is there's a sand tray that is in most child therapist office and there's toys and people can play in the sand tray So when I was in school, I would hear about Santré, Santré, Santré. Well, I was hearing about this when I'm also hearing about all the, you know, Freud and Adler and Jung and all of these people. And so I had convinced myself that Santré was this, this must have been some great French psychologist, Pierre Pierre Santré. So when people talk about, you know, well, uh, Santré, do this with Santré, I'm thinking, man, I got to go look this Santré guy up. I even went to a child therapy training during this time, and there's all this talk about. Well, I, I use sand tray, and I thought, man, this guy, this guy has some some solid ideas. I got to figure this out. And, it, and it, admittedly, it wasn't until uh, a little bit longer where I realized we're talking about a sand tray. And once I um, once I realized that, kind of changed my whole world. Uh, I and but truly, I wish I would have looked up uh, Pierre Sandre early on. And if there is a Pierre Sandre out there, I am sure you are doing amazing work in whatever field you're in. So, so, so when I was in grad school then, um, you know, I decided that I wanted to, I I liked working with teenagers. So I started to work a little bit with some teenagers in this practicum. Um, My true passion is working with, with men and couples. um, But I also work with, uh, you know, a lot of just adults in general, but, but I really did find a, a sweet spot for teenagers. And here's where I wanted to, this is the whole reason I wanted to do this, this podcast today. So I most teenagers don't wake up in the morning and say, "Hey, mom, dad, I think you can line me up with some uh, middle-aged bald man who I can go share all of my feelings with." Um, so I, I don't. I think it maybe happened that once or twice. but I don't think they actually specifically asked for the bald guy. But most teenagers aren't coming in willingly. Uh, typically, it is it, it is done out of duty. It is done out of consequence. Um, if parents are throwing up their hands and I don't know what else to do, you know, work with them, and so. I, I have had so many experiences where I have a teenager in front of me, and the first thing I will tell them is I don't have any magic pill or magic wand or anything. So, I, you know, I want you to know I, I'm not going to try to talk you into anything. I just, I'm, but we can make the most out of this this hour that we're together. And so, usually that'll that'll I don't know, loosen them up a little bit. But then, and this is this one became just inevitable. This part of the conversation. Uh, I would get around to saying, hey, have your parents said to you that they want you to be able to go to them and tell them anything? And I mean, I'm talking 100 percent and I try not to let my clients use all or nothing statements, but we're talking always. There is. Yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that all the time. You can come tell me anything. And then I say. What happens if you go tell them about that you know, you were smoking pot or you're viewing pornography or you're getting an F in, your, you know, in one of your classes? And, and it's the response is they come unglued. You know, and then they kind of tell me, oh, you should have done this and why didn't you? And I told you and why, you know? And so, so just think about that for a minute. So if you're a parent, I would feel fairly confident that you have put some sort of statement out there to your kids. Hey, hey, bud, you know I'm here for you. You can come and talk to me about anything. But then, if they come to you with with one of these problems, school relay doesn't have to be as dramatic as uh, smoking pot or drugs or, or pornography. Even if it's still just a bad grade, and then we come back and with, like, oh my gosh, seriously, you know, we talked about that so many times, and grades are important, and don't you want to go to school and be a doctor? And and so, what we're doing at that point is we're shutting them down. So that follow up question in the therapist office that I get to ask is, hey, so uh, how eager are you then to go and say? Um, go to them with a problem the next time you have one. And it is, I mean, it doesn't, there's no pause where I get a, oh, I'm not doing that again. Or I'm going to give them only the information that I think that they want to hear. So right there, we have shut down the communication channel with our kids. We have taught our kids to either pull away or we've taught our kids that uh, just to feed us the information that we want so that we can live in this, you know, la la happy land and our kids are amazing and wonderful. And so then if anything ever does happen, um, then the parent is like, whoa, this came out of nowhere. So our goal, or at least I'm, I feel very strong and passionate about this, is we want our kids to be able to come to us. Just like we want to be the one that's talking to them about, about sexuality. I want my kid coming to me to, add, to, to say, hey, I'm, I'm in trouble or I'm struggling with something. Um, whether it is an addiction, whether it is bad grades, whether they're having stu- study problems, um, learning disability, you name it. I want them to know they can come to me and I'm going to accept what they what they bring me. Now, I'm going to talk plenty over the next few weeks about um, a modality of therapy that I love. And it's called EFT, Emotionally Focused Therapy. And I use it with individuals, couples. I've done corporate trainings. I've done family systems therapy. And and the basis of this EFT is that when we put something out there, it is it is considered an emotional bid. We are actually and if I was being filmed right now, I'm I'm doing the thing where I'm showing uh, my hands are together and I am showing you my heart, um, not ripping it out of my chest, showing you my heart. But I am I am I am holding my hands out in front of me saying when we put out an emotional bid, when we are coming to someone and saying, hey, mom, dad. I'm struggling with my grades. They are showing us a little bit of their heart. They are being vulnerable. That is what we want, vulnerability. Here's the problem, though. How do we respond? So if we come unglued, if we give a nice passive-aggressive look or if we sigh, body language, um, all of those things are basically taking that heart that they are showing us, that vulnerability, and crumpling it up and just throwing it on the ground and then stomping on it. So it doesn't take much of that before a a teenager is not going to want to come to us. So EFT, one of the greatest principles of EFT, and it is a completely different way to communicate, and I believe it, I teach it, I work with it 40 times a week for years. I mean, I know it works, but when somebody gives you an emotional bid, um, we have to uh, meet that bid with empathy. Not sympathy, like, oh, that's a bummer you have bad grades, but empathy, it's like, Okay. Hey, thanks for coming to me. So tell me what's going on. Tell me what your struggles are. Tell me what that's like for you. You know, when you when you're up late or when you get an assignment, or um, because I have processed examples, I, I can't even tell you the amount of of when somebody can be open and vulnerable. You know, whether it's a challenge that they can't get off their phone, and we can work with solutions. Because you know, if we come in, I told you that you had spent too much time on your phone. You know what? That's that's not going to do any good. I mean, it, it is. You can you can take care of it the, the hard way and uh, and you are not going to build a relationship of trust and, people and, and your kids coming to you in the future. So uh, I don't like that hardline approach. But if we meet that emotional bid with, hey, thanks, what, what's this like for you? What are you going through? So now some hardline parents will say at this point, oh, so I just got to roll over? No, you don't. So after you meet that with empathy and they understand, they feel like, okay, you're hearing them. Then you get to circle back around and now it's like, okay, you know, thank you for sharing that. I understand. That makes more sense. And then you get to say things like, here's where I go with that. You know, I, I, I do see you saying that you want to work hard, but I do see you on your phone. And I'm wondering if there's a way that, you know, do you want to come bring the phone in my room or should we look at some, um, there's some cool apps and things out there we can talk about in a later episode too, that uh, we can turn off um, time, uh, phone time, that sort of thing for a period of time. Um, or if people just feel over their head, I'm working with a well, I have worked with clients regularly who get themselves overwhelmed with AP classes, and um, and then it's a really easy, vulnerable discussion for them to say, okay, this is too much, you know, and I and I want to enjoy my high school experience. So um, I've had uh, had people jump out of AP classes, that sort of thing um and their parents have been okay with that you know but uh but at least it is we're having that dialogue so so that's kind of the the gist of the conversation i wanted to have today is the best parenting advice i think that i can give um right out of the gate is to be able to to treat those emotional bids with the respect um with the uh with the love that they um they should receive this is a, this is your child. You love this person. You you birth them. You want them to succeed. Um, we want to develop relationships where they will come to us with problems, not just in school, but down the road and in in life, and marriage, and parenting. And and they will not do that if they feel like you are going to meet their emotional bid with fixing and judgment statements. And I want to I want to sit there for just a minute too. So. What typically, you know, a fixing and judgment statement, if you start to really have some awareness around this, the fixing and judgment statements are, well, why did you? Why didn't you do this? I told you this. You should have done this. All of those are saying you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. So when we meet with empathy, we get to kind of share our feelings. Then we work on solutions. Um, and this is where the semantics of language become really important. They really do. And we can, we can, that, that's when you get into your advanced DFT dialogue. But even on your responses, if you're saying anything that's like, you know, well, you shouldn't have done this. And I love to say this, nobody wants to be should on, right? Um, when when we hear you should have, I mean, it is just saying you are wrong. I think it's so much more powerful to say, you know, what's your experience like? What are your challenges with that? And what can I do to help? Um, not you're an idiot, you need to do things different, or you need to do things my way. That's the part about empathy. I mean, we get to learn all kinds of things about our kids that we're just assuming we're putting them right through our lens. You need to do this, but what if they what if they do have a learning disability? What if they do struggle with focus? What if they do you know uh, are being bullied? What if they're what if they can't get off their foot? What if the, all of these things are happening? We're just throwing it through our lens of do this. You know I can't believe you didn't do this. So meet it with empathy. Meet that emotional bid. No fixing your judgment statements, and you are going to develop a relationship with your kids that is going to be powerful. Moving forward so that they can come to you with anything doesn't mean you are on board with it. You know, if they come to you with the, you know, hey, I'm taking drugs again. It's not the oh, OK, so I guess I'm going to condone taking drugs. No, you still have your core values, principles, beliefs. But but if they come to you, then we can work on a solution. Then we can we can help them. And and so we can touch on more of this, too, uh, in later episodes, because, again, I'm very passionate about it. And uh, it comes up in my practice all the time and when when kids are struggling with addiction or or bullying or those sort of things, and they feel like they can't turn to anybody and on that note, I mean if I'm being completely honest, vulnerable, all those other therapist words that I try to to have my clients um, use in sessions and in their lives, uh, in my profession, we deal with people who are suicidal and not just not just kind of uh, thoughts of hey, sometimes I think about suicide but Um, where it's a, it's, it's a very real uh, thing that they are contemplating. And in those moments, I want nothing more than to have that client feel like they can turn to people around them. And people are going to listen and be empathetic and try to understand what they're going through and not just throw out cliched fixing and judgment statements, Um, statements of, come on, you just got to pick yourself up and and you got to go do these things. And, and it's naive to think that these you know people in that situation, uh, it's not like they haven't tried to do that. Um, that's part of why they feel down. So uh, it's imperative that you have this relationship developed with your with your teens, um, with people around you that they feel like they can come to you and you're not just going to shut them down with fixing and judgment statements. So and we'll talk more about that one in the future too. I think that's a, that's a topic that um, we need to have more discussion around that being, suicide and what do we do when somebody comes to us maybe and they are talking about uh suicide and and we worry about that and you know at what point do we feel like we need to take it serious versus is this just a cry for help and i think we always need to take it serious uh, there's a reason why somebody is throwing that emotional bid out there so we need to be able to understand where they're at and empathize okay hey we did it that is the end of the first episode of The Virtual Couch. So thank you very much for joining me. Please contact me at contact at Pathback Recovery. If you have any additional questions that you want to throw out there, um, please point people who could benefit from Pathback Recovery toward that site, pathbackrecovery.com. If you know of anybody who is struggling with compulsive sexual behavior, um, pornography addiction, uh, there is hope, pathbackrecovery.com. And I look forward to talking with you next time. Um, I will have guests. We will have we'll answer more questions throughout more views from the therapist chair that I think can help. And I know that I shared earlier how excited I was to do a podcast. But this is a funny one too. I ran into a song a long ago, and it's from someone I actually know. The artist's name, uh, her name is Aurora Florence. She's an actress. She's a musician. Um, uh, friends with her family. And so when I heard this song of hers, I reached out to her and asked her if she would be willing to grant permission for me to use this at the end of my podcast. And that was quite a while ago. It's taken a little while to get this um, podcast going. But this song, to me, is the epitome of a song that leaves you feeling wonderful after you hopefully have gathered some information, some things that you have learned today, how to talk to your teens, things you can put into practice, talking to your kids about sex, you name it. But but indeed, life is wonderful. And that's why Aurora Florence is going to take it away. Here's her song. Find it on iTunes. It's wonderful. I'll see you next time on the Virtual Couch.
1: Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful Loading.